This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm Stephen Byrne, filling in for John Purcell this week. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of fun and great music. Now this morning on the show we'll be hearing about a merger between two well-known Kilkenny legal practices and from the soon-to-be managing partner about the importance of business succession planning. Closer to home and taking a look at the radio landscape, I'll be speaking with the Chief Executive of Radio Centre Ireland, Kieran Cunningham, on the first ever published revenue data for the Irish radio market, while Shane Brennan, Creative Director at FOE, tells us about some interesting research on accents used in the ads we hear and whether it makes a difference to us. And we're also going to speak to Michael English. He's going to talk to us about having to deal with a sports injury himself and how that led to him opening the recovery hub in Carlow earlier this year. But first, we take a look at sustainability in the fashion industry and what it actually means. Earlier this week, John Purcell spoke with Annalise Duffy of Linen Shirt Company and sustainable fashion stylist Roxanne Parker. Have a listen. Amazingly, 64,000 tonnes of clothing are just thrown out every year in Ireland, contributing to a huge amount of environmental damage. And this kind of carry-on just isn't sustainable. During the week, uh, we're very interested to see that Love Island, which is coming back onto our screens on Monday, has changed sponsor away from a fast fashion brand to eBay. It's all part of a big move towards sustainable fashion. And as we like to discuss... uh, Uh, sustainability and the environmental crisis on the programme, we thought it would be a good idea to look over uh, what this all means and how it points the way uh, for a better future for the environment. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Annalise Duffy, who's Managing Director of the Linen Shirt Company, who joined us on the programme a few weeks ago. Good morning, Annalise. Hi, John. How are you? Very well, thanks. And Roxanne Parker, who's a sustainable fashion stylist. How are you, Roxanne? Good morning, John. Very well, thank you. Tell me, Roxanne, um, did I exaggerate the damage that fast fashion is doing to uh, the environment there in my introduction? No, absolutely not. And one of the main problems is that this cheap, fast fashion known as disposable fashion isn't disposable. So the clothes are ending up being exported to the third world because they have absolutely no resale value. You can buy them so cheap, they're always on sale. If you go to a charity shop, they just have no resale value. And they're such poor quality that they disintegrate after a wash. So they're ending up being shipped off to the third world or countries like Chile, where they're being dumped in the Atacama Desert and we have these enormous piles of clothes which take about 200 years plus to degrade because they're made from oil so and a lot of the fabrics are blended so they might be a cotton polyester blend so while the cotton decomposes the polyester is left so we're left with these skeletal mountains of plastic. Annalise, this is something that's been on your mind in the the development of your uh, company, the uh, Linen Shirt Company. Tell us your perspective on it. Well, John, as I had said to you when I was in here the last time, um, and thanks again for the opportunity of of letting me come back on to chat again. Um, So, really, I'm third-generation manufacturer and designer based in Ireland, so the most important thing to me is not only manufacturing in Ireland, but also to be able to use a sustainable fabric so for our collection we use only 100% Irish linen so we can stand over our fabric 
and our production as well at the same time uh, to really show that there it's not always about fast fashion and that you know you buy it once wear it once um, my ethos and always my family's ethos in the past was always about bringing together um, communities from the the maker right through to the consumer and give them an item that they can wear ongoing and um, so that's really where I come from so that's how I suppose myself and Roxanne are, su- are such good friends on this because we're both coming at the same problem with different angles uh, but but si- really singing the same song yeah now I'm not a big fan of Love Island but I'm aware of it but it's a hugely it would seem to me in many ways the epitome of fast fashion disposability fads and so on how big uh, Roxanne of a change is it and how significant a change is it that um, they've uh, disposed of a fast fashion sponsor so to speak it's major because traditionally the previous casts have gone on to be major influencers who are brand ambassadors for fast fashion brands or uh, collaborate and have their own fast fashion brand so if we can cut that chain and start educating the viewers to shop and view clothes and consume clothes in a different way so eBay traditionally um, sells second hand vintage small makers so um, there's going to actually should be working with Dua Lipa, the pop star stylist. So she's actively going to troll eBay, find secondhand vintage and small designer brands to dress these contestants every week. So what I'm really hoping is that the viewers will start being inspired by the fashion and the trends as opposed to clicking on the button and buying these really cheap, terrible clothes, which are bad for the economy, the environment, and for, for us, really, in terms of health, because there's even those chemicals on the fabrics that are just not good for, for us. You know, you're sweating, you know, they're right next to your skin. That's not good for your endocrine system. So. I would love to see uh, that next generation being influenced to think that shopping secondhand clothes is really cool, Uh, customising, upcycling what you have is really cool. The most ethical thing you can do is shop your own wardrobe. So say for example if one of the Love Island people is wearing you know a pink suit somebody might go home and go do you know what I have those trousers in my wardrobe because I can't physically go out and get the exact outfit that she's wearing which they would have been able to do it's it's getting people to think outside the box how they consume clothes so I'm really hoping it pushes people to be more creative and in turn more sustainable. And Elise you're, you're building a business presumably using these values of sustainability and so on. How much extra work and how difficult is it to, you know, make the leap from just disposability to, you know, to more ethical, more sustainable and more, um, you know, long-term thinking when it comes to clothing? It's actually easier, would you believe? Um, because you're not trying to churn out as many quantities of an item um, in a fast fashion manufacturing situation. So you're taking more care and time over what you're what you are producing which is a better way to work um, really and by using a better quality fabric as well you don't have the same amount of waste coming out of your fabric because the fabric is woven better it's made it's it's produced better so you don't have all of the faults and um, the, the the kind of the, the the stuff that normally would come so say um, regarding say fabric that is 
badly printed for example because it's very cheap you're going to have a lot of off cuts because the print isn't very very good and the pattern isn't very very good so it's hard to work around so when you're working with a base fabric that's a good quality fabric it's easier to start off with so it's it's much much easier to produce a um, slower fashion than it is to produce fast fast mass fashion mm. um, when it comes to fashion though Roxanne my perception is that fashion has always operated on you have this season and what will be a la mode or whatever you call it this spring summer will actually be passe when it comes to next summer is that an old-fashioned way of thinking and do we need to change our our thoughts on what fashion is in fashion it's certainly the business model that fashion has pushed because it pushed sales so the idea is to make people feel insecure so you're out of fashion what you're wearing now you need to buy something new so I guess it really started around in the 1960s with Yves Saint Laurent when he designed Reeve Gauche which was the first ready to wear collection up until then it was all au couture so everything was made to measure and it was for you know very wealthy exactly and and then other people got dresses either your mum made your dresses or you got a local seamstress to make things and suddenly that's when we had fast fashion we had the 1960s we had the boom in industry where we had acrylics nylon polyester we were able to produce things more quickly and um, we had you know more factories more mass production and in more recent times it's gone from fast fashion to what I would describe as ultra fast fashion we now have brands like Shen in China which are pumping out 17,000 new styles of clothes a day a day a day Crikey. so it's completely and utterly unsustainable it's a race to the bottom and I think simply they only do it because there's a market for it so you know we need to change people's mindset we do and I think what's happening now is we're beginning to see the cracks in the business model of fast fashion it's interesting what you were saying Annalise about there's very little waste in the way that you're manufacturing in terms of these fast fashion brands you talk to any woman who's bought online clothes that are cheap and they'll open the package and it does doesn't fit it doesn't meet their expectations and it's it's just not what they expected now a lot of the time what happened particularly during lockdown when people were bored and shopping more online they didn't bother returning the clothes so like it, when you think about it you've got people being paid substandard uh, way of living manufacturing these clothes um, in awful conditions and we in the west aren't even wearing the clothes like it's so fragmented and when you look at what's happening in terms of uh, misguided which is a massive um, online e-tailer and they lost 26 million in sales in one year so something's not working anymore and you do have to question when you see um, a garment maybe a skirt that's been sold for 10 euro or 15 euro and an influencer is being paid 6,000 to advertise that one style on an online post how is that sustainable yeah. how can you keep going I don't understand how it works it does so seem to buy be less and buy more or buy <laughs> buy less and buy better I should say exactly so if you I always I always I, I'm not going to name any stores but there's some high street stores that people are almost addicted to buying because the, the the level of newness draws them in and the cheap affordable prices draw them in but they will never walk out with just one top what they will do is they walk out with 100 to 200 euro worth of stuff that's going to fall apart after one wash or perhaps they don't even like because it was so cheap they just decided to pick it up and not even try it on and then they get it home 
home. Now, if you were to flip it around and go, okay, that 100 to 200 euro, I'm going to put towards a really beautiful coat, a really beautiful, well-made suit, or I'm going to support a local designer, or even just the thing that I think I can't afford. If I sat down and crunched the figures, I absolutely could afford, because I'm hemorrhaging money on fast fashion. So we need to really re-educate people buy less, buy better. There's really good resale in your clothes. Like if you have beautiful clothes or if you have pieces that are designer, you can actually resale resale them. There's websites uh, like Depop, but also Vestiaire that specialize in designer clothes. And like I've spoken to some companies who, uh, there's a designer exchange, their handbag company in Dublin, and they resell designer handbags like Louis Vuitton and Prada. They told me a scenario, a lady who bought a second-hand Louis Vuitton handbag from them, and actually two years later made a thousand euro profit on reselling that bag. So that's when it gets really interesting from a consumer point of view, that you could be quite clever in how you spend your money, but never in fast fashion. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie KCLR. Welcome back to The Bottom Line on KCLR. Now, before the break, you heard Annalise Duffy of Linen Shirt Company and stylist Roxanne Parker speaking with John Parcel about sustainability in the fashion industry. And it was part of a much longer conversation. So if you want to hear the extended interview, it'll be available to download on podcast from Monday. Now, moving on, during the week, it was announced that local law firms Grace Solicitors and Gerald Meany Solicitors are to merge. And from July 1st, they'll practice under the name of Grace Solicitors incorporating Gerald Meany. John Purcell caught up with Laurie Grace, who's to be the managing partner of the new practice, to hear about this new venture and the importance of having a business succession plan in place. We decided, uh, myself and uh, Jerry, uh, about six months ago, we started uh, discussing uh, how best to deal you know, with the question of, of a merger, uh, it suits uh, both of us. Um, uh, Jerry is is in practice in Kilkenny since the mid 1980s, and we're working in Callan uh, since 1998, and uh, in New Park for, for the last five years. So, uh, given the discussion that we're going to have today, uh, succession planning for for law firms is is very is a very complicated business. Uh, and Jerry's so broken down succession planning is, I suppose, how you're going to deal with the future. Uh, yes, uh, and planning for it. So, uh, like any business, and we see a lot with clients, and particularly uh, farmers, farmers are really well organised. Their Chagas advisors are telling them, look, you need to keep an eye on this. There's not much point uh, at 60 years of age or 65 years of age turning around and seeing, you know, who's going to come on and how are you going to pass your business on because farming is a business law firms and businesses are exactly the same if you leave it too late and you haven't planned properly for it or if your business isn't actually set up correctly to be able to hand it on to somebody else uh, you may find yourself in the difficult position of not having somebody to take it on and so uh, it suits it suits Jerry uh, and he's a really good business and he's a really good solicitor and it suits us as well so that you know we create something that's that's a, li- that's a bit bigger uh, and it makes it attractive to get younger people in to, to, to look and see, well, that's a business that I could take on in 10 years' time. Uh, but there are structures that have to be put in place, and that's the really important part of this. You know, I've done a lot of thinking about this the last 18 months, 
and then laterally you know in the last six months thinking about this particular project uh, and it's a great mix so for staff it gives continuity it gives certainty um, everybody knows what the plan is and everybody you know clients as well it's you can't really turn around to a client uh, and say you know next week we're going to close the door and you're going to have to find somewhere else uh, to go and uh, that wasn't as big an issue 15 years ago but critically it is now and especially in a rural community um, uh, or provincial town where you have fewer and fewer people setting up businesses like the profile of solicitors or accountants uh, locally doctors as well all of these professions engineers you know they may come a time where when those people actually retire you may not get replacements GPs in particular in, in small rural towns it's not as an, uh, maybe as an attractive um, uh, 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 thing to do to take on somebody else's practice. Because in a legal firm if you're there in your late 60s and you haven't made provision for this you still have responsibilities that extend into the future. Yeah the Law Society are very clear about this um, you, you have to mind a person's file for uh, for different time periods some are six years and some are 12 years so what do you do with that and the last thing you want to do in your retirement is to be wondering i better keep an eye on those files for you know for the next 10 years uh, so this makes perfect sense it's a hot topic at the moment uh, for solicitors and i think you know i go back to the agricultural community and farmers they are really really good we, we so we get people coming in to talk about wills and transfers and sometimes we're the last person to know because the uh, ag advisor has been on they've told them what to do they've been through their uh, financial advisors and their accountants and they, there's a plan in place and they, they come into us to kind of put it all in place 10 years ago we'd have been the first person and they would, they would have been asked well what do you think about this whereas now it's actually we're, we're coming in to do a piece of that job but they're all talking to each other so there are no surprises really anymore where a farmer is saying well you'll know what the plan is after, after I pass away um, so th- that's positive and I think it's really really good but for, from our point of view and from a, from a business point of view um, getting yourself ready to, to pass on your, your business or, or that you know it's not all down to you um, that if, for instance, and, and we talked earlier, uh, succession planning, it's not just about, I'd like to walk out the door, uh, sell my business and, and move on. Succession planning also deals with uh, things like what happens if there's an unexpected illness? Mm. What happens if there's an unexpected death? Who, who opens up in the morning? How do you run your business? Who's going to be responsible for making bank transfers or paying suppliers? Uh, how do you deal with your clients? Uh, and if you're leaving it to chance that I may not get sick or I, you know, I'll retire in a timely, mo- in a timely way, there'll be chaos. Yeah, and um, time is of the essence, basically, because you, you outlined a situation where you know, you're in deep discussion for about maybe six months. Uh, it was on your mind and you were thinking a lot of it for about 18 months, but presumably it had been on your mind even before then. So people need to be thinking about it. Yes, and look, what, what actually prompted me... Uh, during COVID, when we were all locked up at home wondering what we do with our time, I did um, an online course in the Law Society, which is very interesting. But then actually I, I went on to do a UCD course in leadership and management. And that was really interesting because there was a whole host of people from different backgrounds. There was medical, IT, engineering. There were no legal uh, people there. And it was great to get a fresh insight into how other people Mm. and how other industries actually work. So in our industry, it's very much, uh, you, you tend to end up working in one or two firms d- during your time. IT, and I didn't realize this, people 
are moving backwards and forwards every two or three years and that's just the way it is so it, 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 I suppose we would have been good at some things and then you know in our discussion groups people will say God you're, you're, you are very kind of behind the times in relation to what happens next and, and how you plan for the future Yeah it's important I'm kind of getting the, the impression that succession doesn't have to le- lead to just the single uh, outcome i.e. that you leave the business it can, it can lead to a variety of different outcomes that people can step back reduce their input focus on stuff that um, uh, that that interests them, and and maybe even bring on younger people simultaneously without them being full replacements. Is that a fair enough? Yep. And uh, look at uh, if I if I if I talk about it, uh, agriculture and law. I think you do have a situation where you will have a, a person who's, who's worked for a long time who wants to mentor somebody, a younger farmer or a trainee solicitor, and bring them along. And uh, I think most people will be happy to continue working way beyond 65 uh, so that they can actually do it at their own pace, but they don't have the responsibility of the administration. And I think that's a lot of the time with business. That's what gets people bogged down. If you work in an industry that you really like, and, and it's the, the basic... Uh, the basic uh, principle is you meet a client, you have a chat, you help somebody out and, and you can still do that without necessarily having to wor- worry about all the other uh, maybe administrative stuff that goes with it. I think people work way longer but you need to make it easy for people to, to do that and that's why I think you will see over the next period of time accountancy firms merging um, law firms merging uh, the, the, the whole agricultural thing is happening anyway I mean that's that's a, that's a real um, th- that, that's a great benchmark because it's done really well and they got great advice from a number of different sectors so um, but but you can't do it overnight and, and I think yeah, you have to you have to look and you have to see you have to get yourself into the right mindset the other thing is you have to show leadership and bring people along with you so you can't come up uh, come in one day and sort of say this is uh, what we're doing I, I've, I've had a brainwave so I'm going to do you know w- we've had the pro- of actually talking to people, bringing them along. Today was the first day that w- everybody uh, from the two firms met and we had lunch together. We had a chat. We sat down for an hour and a half. And so uh, at least everybody can put names uh, to faces. And, and that was all positive. And we've had really good positive feedback from, from our announcement. But this is, in, uh, you know, this is succession planning. Yeah, uh, and something that everybody needs to be doing. I get the impression that it can be a, a very positive thing if you're planning your future lifestyle. We're talking about increased life longevity but if people want to keep working but maybe not in the exact same way it's a good way of doing it and it's something that both employers should discuss with employees but equally vice versa well i i think that you know in fairness we've been working in in Callan since as i say since 1998 uh, and jerry mini would have been working longer uh, there is a really strong uh, relationship built up between everybody in, in both practices and it does come down to um you know respect and it does come down to the interaction that you have with people uh, and and w- you know we depend massively on our staff and i suppose I, I would always keep people in the loop because there's not much point in coming in with a surprise someday and expect people to accept it uh, or, or be happy about it so uh, but it is down to the leadership that you show and uh, you, you do reap rewards because everybody knows what's uh, what's ahead of them and there are no surprises like who wants surprises I mean at least and I, I think it's reasonable to sort of say to people you know what's what's your plan do you, do you see yourself how long do you see yourself working for or and is that how uh, a conversation that would lead to a merger or a coming together is that how those conversations kind of start well I it's funny uh, because I've been asked that question two or three times how does that conversation start and um it was on my mind, as I say, for a long time, and it wouldn't have been on his radar. Um, 
specifically so it, it was a pick up the phone and uh, literally you know I'm interested in this and when we have a cup of coffee and see what you think and it was very much I came to him at the right time and, and he was happy that I came to him at the right time it may not work all of the time I'd have to say you know this particular process has been really really good because it's positive and we, we are very similar type of firm um but and I, I have I have colleagues who've gone through the, the same process and I've asked them about it as well. So sometimes it's it's it, it comes with 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 differences and different problems. But there's nothing. I mean, you know, you, you talk to somebody, you talk through a problem, and you're open and you're honest, and you say, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but let, let's let's tease it out. Um, uh, we did have the help of of uh, of a consultant who would have come in last year. To, to talk to everybody in our office individually and to say, you know, what are the issues? And it was a confidential thing. He would have reported back to me, listen, everything's fine. You could do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But the bounce we got from uh, from pe- people who were asked their opinion, that was massive. Like, mm. I mean, there are people who w- wouldn't have been asked their opinion on something before. And you kind of say, well, what do you think? Or have you any ideas? Uh, and it threw up some really interesting issues uh, that uh, we hadn't uh, thought about. But people like to be asked their opinion absolutely but look it's a really interesting topic and I'd love to come back uh, at it again some other time in the future but for now Laurie Grace uh, managing partner of the company that is going to be Grace Solicitors incorporating Gerard Meany from the 1st of July thank you for joining us on The Bottom Line thank you John the Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to Portfolio Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. Joining us on The Bottom Line now is Kieran Cunningham, the CEO of Radio Centre Ireland. Kieran, how are you? I'm very well. Good stuff. Uh, Kieran, a uh, huge uh, thing published uh, during the week. The first ever published revenue from Irish radio operators report. Um, this is new. It's a new uh, avenue and something different from, from Irish radio. Can you tell us the background to it and how it all came about? Yes, well, interesting. For, for many years, we didn't know the exact size of the radio market in Ireland. And what has happened um, early this year, Radio Centre Ireland was formed. It's a joint venture between all the independent radio stations and RTE. So it's the first time ever that the whole industry has come together. And one of the first initiatives was to try and really understand the size of the radio market. So for the first time ever, every single radio station in the country has submitted their exact revenue to Radio Centre Ireland, and we were able to compile all that revenue figures to produce for the first time ever a really robust and detailed revenue picture of the Irish radio market, and I'm delighted to say that in 2021, revenues for the total sector were 145 million, which is much higher than previous estimates, because prior to, the, to now, people had to estimate the size of the market, and previously the estimates were considered to be lower than that. So 145 million actually gives the sector a 12.6% share of the total advertising market in Ireland, which again is hard on what people previously thought. Well, any reluctance from any of the radio stations to sort of hand over the revenue figures? I know that's all private, you know, within reason. It, I mean, at the start, we have to talk it through with all the radio stations, but when they provide the revenue figures, nobody can see them. In fact, I can't even see it as Radio Centre Ireland. The figures are just aggregated to get an aggregate amount, so there's all um, you know privacy structures within the system, so each station inputs their own figures, but they can only see their own figures. 
and they, then they can see the aggregate of the total amount for the sector, and that's, that's essentially how it came about. Um, we did have to talk to other radio stations and explain how it worked, but once they understood how it worked, they were all very happy to cooperate. And Kieran, why is this um, uh, report so important, and why is it coming about now? I think the launch of Radio Centre Ireland was the impetus for it to happen because we want to kind of speak as one sector. Um, it's a very, very competitive market out there, as I'm sure everybody knows. The progress of digital and the big tech companies who do take a very large share of the advertising cake in Ireland. But it's highly competitive and advertisers out there having to make a choice of where to spend their advertising budget, be it large or small. And what we wanted to show is that the sector in Ireland is doing really well and it's competing with um, you know, all the other choices that are available out there and really gives people a sense of the size of the market in Ireland and how it compares to other uh, media like TV and, and digital and print. Absolutely. They're all the huge threats and digital is going to be a massive threat uh, over the next number of years with local radio or with any radio, I suppose. Um, but radio, I suppose, has its place uh, in Ireland as well. Um, and, and, you know, considered a, a very, very successful medium for advertising and, uh, you know, content or anything like that. Irish people seem to love radio. They do, absolutely, and that's brought upon it by um, research on listenership to Jane Delore is a very long-established research survey, and consistently shows that 8 out of 10 people listen to the radio every day. And interestingly, most people still listen to the radio live on essentially FM, so 90% of listening is still through the traditional method. Um, it's a bit lower for, for younger people from 34 is about 80% is listening to that method and then people are obviously listening through mobile devices and smart speakers as well but 8 out of 10 people listening to the radio every single day is extremely higher and it's actually higher than most other markets in Europe uh, Kieran, uh, direct advertising is uh, sort of the lifeblood of a local radio station uh, and, and other stations as well. This is, you know, your local uh, car dealerships, supermarkets, all that sort of stuff as well. It is growing, um, but uh, it is still below pre-pandemic levels. Um, and the result of that, I suppose, local stations are sort of more reliant on that than the direct sort of national urban stations for, for advertising. Um, so, you know, local stations probably... Uh, they're not really seeing the upside of the year-on-year increases. Well, um, yes, I mean, they have. What has happened is there has been growth. Um, indirect advertising has grown significantly January um, um, to March this year. Um, the overall growth is 22% for total um, adverti- um, radio advertising January to March this year, but direct is considerably ahead of that. The only thing is that it's still trying to get back to pre-pandemic levels because what happened, um, obviously, with the pandemic, particularly local um, SMEs, small advertisers, were put under serious pressure and they're still recovering from that since we've come out of the pandemic. And it is recovering. The growth is extremely strong first quarter this year, but it's not quite back to pre-pandemic levels at this stage. But we are hoping, Radio Centre Ireland is hoping with all the work we're doing on promoting the medium it was, um, was showing people how important medium is, how brilliant the medium is at driving brand sales short and long term. We're hoping that by the end of this year, direct advertising does get back to pre-pandemic levels, but it's not quite there yet. Kieran Cunningham, CEO of Radio Centre Ireland, thanks for talking to us on The Bottom Line. KCLR.
Now on the bottom line, we're going to chat to Shane Brennan. He's a creative director at Faux. Shane, how are you? I'm not too bad, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Not too bad. Shane, we're going to talk about accents and advertising and a study that was done into that. But before that, you are, like I said, the creative director of Faux. What does it just do? Yeah, so um, at Faux, we're a, we're a small creative studio. So what that means is we specialize in advertising production and activations. But we do it kind of in a different way because we're a small outfit. So what we like to do is kind of look at things that maybe brands would do traditionally one way and we try to come at it in a different approach to so just try and spice things up and be a bit more interesting with the with the type of work that we put out there. Absolutely, that makes total sense. Um, and so you were commissioned to come in and uh, get stuck into this. So it was a new national experiment basically to prove the science between, behind local accent bias. So explain what that was. Yeah, so essentially we worked with um, IRS Plus and what we wanted to do was explore why even local radio has such a strong impact in Ireland. And what we did was we decided to look into the psychology behind accents as opposed to just telling people what they might already know about local radio performing really well. Um, so what we ended up landing on was this psycho- psychological theory called own accent bias. Now this goes back years. The accents have been studied for years and what essentially what it leans into is that people like the prosody of their own accent. And what prosody is, is rhythm, stress and intonation. And what that does is essentially if you like how someone speaks, you inadvertently like what they're saying and that's called effective processing and it's a really um it's a really interesting area for brands to start considering it's more getting into that real local ear and that local tone to try and have that engagement with a local community ah interesting so how did you conduct the research and where um i'm interested to know where you conducted it and that as well because we've such a spread of accents across the country in ireland it's crazy yeah yeah, so what we wanted to do, we wanted to, as I said earlier, before we go about things differently, so what we wanted to do was use YouTube because advertisers a year spend up to 22 million on advertising on YouTube. So in a sense, they trust the results from YouTube. So what we wanted to do was use it a little bit differently. So what we did was we worked with Spark Foundry and Nissan, and they let us record Nissan's Qashqai TV ad with a local accent from Donegal, Kerry, the Midlands, and the Southeast. So then YouTube, what we did was we geo-targeted those areas. So we ran the Donegal accent in Donegal, the Kerry accent, Kerry, and so on. And we also ran national accent at the same time as a control. So what we wanted to do then was we ran it as skippable. So people could choose, you know, those ads that everyone, everyone loves that you can skip after five seconds. And we yeah. wanted to see the difference between whether the local accent was skipped more or the national accent was skipped more and kind of to our delight the local accent was viewed way more so um you know it's uh now we're, we're talking single digit figure, figures but in terms of impacts to view rates that's what you're looking to get a benefit in you know we had uh in Donegal we had upwards of five percent Kerry four percent the Midlands two and then the Southeast just up to about one percent so the Midlands includes uh, Carlo here, Leash, Offaly, Waterford, Westmead as well, and a bit of Wexford as well. So, um, would, you know, obviously a lot of different variations on uh, exactly. accents around this <laughs> this neck of the woods yeah. as well. So it proved that point is that 
uh, you know, local accents are much more sought after than, I suppose, these polished, you know, neutral uh, sort of, you know yourself, you hear the voiceover artists, they're great, but it's very it's very neutral, it's very flamboyant or whatever sometimes and, and very, very polished, whereas sometimes you want to hear, you know, someone that sounds like the lad down the road. Exactly, and I think what this really leans into, because I'm from the Midlands myself, and uh, what I think this really leans into was kind of what people aren't hearing from brands. You know what I mean? I think it's more a commentary on uh, them trusting their own accent as well and things that they're used to hearing. And I think it's time for brands to start recognizing that, that yes, there is very polished accents that from a budgetary point of view, if you need to speak to everyone, you don't want to lean in to different accents potentially, right? Because it could have a negative impact in some areas. But when you're running on local, uh, local radio or when you're targeting specific areas on digital, and even when you go into TV advertising now with the power of AdSmart, of being able to target different areas with your TV ads, well, now moving into this really highly targeted space, there's an opportunity to start bringing in these local sounds so people can hear themselves associate with your brand as opposed to a generic kind of national ad. And we really see an opportunity when a brand has maybe a creative that's been running for six months and it might be plateauing a little bit and they're about to run again and, and push into local areas, but then they can revitalize that creative for a very reasonable cost working with IRS+. Plus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so all this research, you know, the arms you, like you said, as we move into the future, well, digitally, not just digitally, but but everywhere else that, you know, your local accent can work. You know, if, if their dad's, if, I don't know, if, I don't know, any multinational or big shopping brand wants to target, you know, locally here in Carlo Kilkenny or Waterford or whatever, you know, you, you can target it specifically yeah. with those accents. And like you said, it's already proven with the research that it works and uh, I'm just I can relate to this as well I love Ruth McCabe's voice um, Ruth does stuff from TG Carr and she's done various uh, food ads over the years as well I love her sort of West of Ireland accent she never lost it it was never polished but mm-hmm. really really relatable as well and always said with especially with food marketing and everything she'd always a great voice for that so this you know this is sort of part of that um, identification I suppose that I would have you know with, with mm-hmm. accents as well yeah, for sure. And I think, and that's really the question we wanted to bring up. The question is, let's not just do what we've always done. You know what I mean? The advertising sphere is changing. What we can do is changing. So why don't we start having this conversation about accents and how we can diversify the sound of brands with local communities? And then obviously there's an impact for the brand, which would be positive. But I think there's also a Im- positive impact on a community and for kids in the community to hear themselves and to see, to not, like, to not see, hear someone else, to be able to have a brand, a big multinational brand, be voiced by someone like they know and what they might sound like themselves. And I think there's a real power in that. Absolutely. Is. It's all about relate, relatability, if that's a word. Exactly. Um, exactly. Shane, it's a fascinating study. Um, congratulations on it. Um, it's really, really good and really interesting from my own point of view to hear as well, working in radio as well. Um, the very best to look with it. Shane Brennan, Creative Director at Fall. Thanks for talking to us on The Bottom Line. Kilkenny, Carlo, KCLR. Welcome back to The Bottom Line with Steve Byrne filling in for John Purcell this week. Now we're going to talk sport and recovery 
and all that sort of stuff. And joining us on the line now is Michael English, the director of Recovery Hub in Carlo. Michael, how's it going? Not too bad now, Stephen, and yourself? Ah, sure, I'm flying it at the moment. A uh, couple Good. of little niggles. I might have to drop into you and uh, get, get, get a few bits done and, and recover and that. So the the on, ongoing issues, as the lad says. But come here, Recovery Hub in Carlo. Um, yep. You're based there, just outside Carlo Shopping Centre, on the outside, uh, up near the exit, isn't it, on the town yes. on the town side there. Come here, the Recovery Hub, you, you explain it to us. What is it you do, and tell me where you are. Yeah, well, it's a health and wellness centre, say, essentially. Um, like, we have uh, a four-degree ice back there, that Pat Lee and Bart last made there, Aqua Fitness and Recovery. Um, we have the sauna, a jacuzzi, and uh, compression boots. And basically, look, it, it's for it's for everyone. Um, it's not just for sports people. It's for people um, from every walk of life. Like we have teachers, restaurant owners, IT people working, um, uh, builders in there. A few weeks ago, elderly, elderly gentlemen there came in and sure once around the boats fell asleep. You know that sort of that sort of thing. Um, it's for relaxation and recovery, Stephen. To be honest, and like it's it's going well at the minute, and like the likes of this uh, interview will will only do us the world of good, you know. Um, but no, it's it's great location. It's the only one in Carla Town, and and delighted all the hard work to get to, to this stage has been worth it, and um, long may it last, you know. Mike, yeah, absolutely, and Michael, you're open since February this year, and I've seen you know just from different counties and different people that use the service as well. It's becoming more popular. Um, how did the idea come about with you? And you know, obviously, you took the plunge and you started it up. Yeah, well, I, I was living in I was living in in Carlo for a little over a year there, Stephen, and, and I actually moved home to Bartnast there in January. But like, I've done a lot of research into the clubs, soccer clubs, rugby clubs, hurling, camogie, um, you know, like all different types of tennis. Like, there's a lot of clubs around around the, the even the town of of Carlo and surrounding areas like Palatine and all them places, Fenna, Michel and all. And like there wasn't one recovery hub around, and I tell you what happened to me. I, I've had an ongoing issue with back for years. I'm playing football since I'm six years of age, and I tell you, um, when I was younger, I was playing in four or five teams a week, you know. And um, I started just on damage on with the back, and I was actually with, with a few recovery hubs over the last year, and I just realised that there wasn't just looked at the market, and there wasn't one in Carlow Town, so I just took the plunge, and I and I, and I went with it. So. Um, Delighted that it's open now, and sure, we'll keep her going. I sort of say, Stephen, you know. And for yeah, and you're talking about teachers and builders. There, teachers sit down for a lot of the day, or they're standing in the same spot. And then you builders that do a lot of physical work as well. So they all need different things to relax the body, relax the muscles, and all that. And like the science has proven with saunas, jacuzzis, you know, the cold tubs, you know, the hot and cold treatment of muscles and all that. That's all there, and it's been learned over the years uh, as well. And so you have the shop up and running there in Carlo. Um, and any future plans, Michael? Uh, expansion or adding bits well, and pieces in as you go i tell you the truth Stephen I, I'm actually studying health and wellness course now online for the past five months and to be honest with you I'd love to do something like an occupational therapist course um, down the line look I've seen first hand my brother had a serious accident years ago um, look, and without the likes of these people um, you know he wouldn't be where he is uh, I've seen a lot of things in Dunleary over the two years that he was there and it's something that I was like to help and so that's really the, the 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 thought of 
of starting the recovery hub was all about, you know. So down the line, look, the expansion, I just love to get this shop up and running and get busy and, you know, help the people of Carlow Town and the surrounding areas to, to come in just for an hour of recovery. And, and uh, look, I've corporate people coming in now just booking for, you know, just an hour session for them. And, you know, just if if that little little bit uh, of an hour out of their week um makes them happy, look, that's all I'm happy about. One shop will do me at this time, you know. Absolutely, and we'll take it yeah. from there, as the lad says. Yeah, um, yeah well, absolutely. But, like, especially the, the mental health side of Stephen, like, that's, that's like, to see people actually test themselves in, in an ice bath, you know, fit, come out then, like, they release endorphins into the brain, and it's like the happy hormone. It's like the runners get after running high. You know yourself after running, how great you feel. Absolutely. Um, and the likes of people getting into the bath and testing themselves, and a few Wim Hof courses, Iceman course um, down at Greg the Manor there with a man called uh, John McGowan um, we're actually doing a, a, a Wim Hof instructor day there Sunday in, in the hope so like it's all about your breathing techniques and what the, what the body is able to do in a nice bat and you know to see people test themselves and come out knowing that you know they were going into a thing that they weren't able and then they eventually get to to, to experience the ice bat and, and love it after you know so that's that's great to see you know Absolutely. Well, Michael, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, it's great chatting to you and the very best of luck yeah. with this new venture and, of course, a new direction for sport and sports recovery as well. It's the it's dawn of a new market, I think, uh, that's yeah. only going to get busier over time. And best wishes uh, in Carlo there in Carlo Shopping Centre. Michael English, the director of the Recovery Hub. Thanks for talking to us, Michael. Thanks, William, Stephen. Now, that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas, you'll get to us. You can email The Bottom Line at kclr96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to the show or any episode of The Bottom Line, just search for The Bottom Line on KCLR on the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify or download the KCLR app and get your podcast there. Thanks to all my guests this week, Annalise Duffy, Roxanne Parker, Laurie Grace, Kieran Cunningham, Shane Brennan and Michael English. And thanks, of course, to Deirdre Drummy, who produces the show and thanks to you for listening. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie